This is Square Pizza, cooked up by Shermco. Hey everyone, this is Kelsey and we're back with another episode of Square Pizza. Today we're joined by Carrie Cook, the founding executive director of Greenlight Fund Charlotte and Total Boss. Uh, Carrie at Greenlight Fund is incubating and scaling innovative organizations with proven impact to address unmet community needs. Uh, We'll get into that a little bit deeper in the episode and exactly what that means for the Charlotte community. We're also going to talk through how Carrie is taking on Charlotte's affordable housing crisis, one real estate project at a time, and some of the insights she's gleaned as she's grown that passion project. Carrie is totally fascinating, and we could have chatted with her for hours. Um, We didn't even get to touch on the subject of travel, and she's traveled to every continent, including Antarctica. Uh, So we encourage you to uh, reach out to Carrie if you have any questions about some of the topics that we discuss, um, and if you have any uh, travel questions, because she's the the gal to ask. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Um, We'll get to it. Hello, good people. Welcome to... A square pizza podcast cooked up by the good folks, hopefully the good folks at Shermco, um, focused on the intersection of education, innovation, and diversity. We got another uh, stellar guest, which we'll loop in and introduce you to a minute. But first, I want to say hi to Kelsey. Hey, Kelsey. Hey, Greg. Good morning. How are you? I'm awesome today. All right, great. Thanks, Kelsey. All right, so <laughs> our, our our distinguished guest today, ladies and gentlemen, Miss Carrie Cook. Let's give her. Distinguished. I, know, I, right. I like that. Don't don't mess up. Um, <laughs> our sound app messed up, guys, and so you're we're coming old school with the official hand claps today. Um, so we're going to put a lot of Carrie's background information in the show notes, and a lot of you already know who she is since she's a boss in many ways. Um, but we want to just kind of dive in with a lot about who Carrie is, what she does, and I think some of the background stuff will come up naturally in the conversation. Um, but want to get to some of the meat and context of what she's working on and what she's seeing in our community, but across the country. Um, but first things first, maybe a little fun. Carrie Cook, what is it like to be the best real estate investor and personal finance queen in all of Charlotte? <laughs> I will not claim the title as the best <laughs> investor in Charlotte, um, but I will claim the title as someone who is learning and growing and evolving quickly. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate the opportunity to put a personal passion with um, a community need, which is addressing affordable housing, but also preserving the uh, housing stock we have. So it's really been about buying vacant homes and renovating mm-hmm. them in a high quality way and yep. then um, putting them uh, for sale to owners so that teachers and others who are in the workforce have a path to ownership or it's um, renting them high quality, affordable rentals, which we can do. And how'd you get into that? Oh. Because it's not, you know, I think like you're crushing the game professionally, obviously, but um like getting into real estate is like intimidating like it's hard right to like flip stuff and get cash and like real estate's not an easy uh, market to enter right for I think anybody absolutely it's not easy but I would say a few years ago about four years ago when I was appointed to the city of Charlotte's housing board I learned more boss, about boss the- point one boss point one <laughs> boss point one stay tuned more points coming my staff um, are gonna really be tired by this <laughs> Uh, no, but seriously, it, I mean, it's a, it's a crisis in Charlotte. Affordable yeah. housing is truly at crisis level. We're about 30,000 plus units um, 
from where we are in terms of the supply and demand. And so, um, you know, we can wait for government, we can wait for private sector and others to enter with solutions, which they are, Mm -hmm. but we can also take individual action and we can say, what can be my part of this solution? How can I help to move this forward? And so as I jumped in, it was really (laughs) unadvisable um, from my mother and others. (laughs) Because of just like how hard real estate is? Yeah, I took out a loan against my own home. So like family wasn't, like you didn't have like, mom wasn't a real estate agent or like dad wasn't a contractor or like. No, no, I'm not one of those people who have like uncle owns a construction business and mom, they were all like, no, run opposite direction. (laughs) Don't do it. Um, And I said, you know what? I'm going to just try. If I fail, it's fine, but I'm at least going to try because that's how you, to me, that's how you learn. And so I jumped in and I took out what's called a HELOC or a home Mm -hmm. equity line of credit against the first home that I bought years ago and said, all right. Which may go against like your personal finance roots because that's like a risky move a little bit, taking out a HELOC. It's a calculator risk. Okay. It's a calculator risk. So I knew I had some equity in my home. I didn't uh, borrow uh, the maximum amount of equity in my home. So there was still a cushion, right? It was a calculator risk. It was like, all right, if you have you know, let's just throw out some random numbers, 100,000 in equity, don't take out the whole 100, take out 50 and use that as a calculated risk and say, all right, how can I use this as an initial way to enter into the marketplace? Mm -hmm. And and I did, I bought a home over in the um, Lakewood community Mm -hmm. and um, renovated it and sold it to a a teacher. At that time, he was a teacher and um, now he's living there and rocking it out and, you know, neighborhood champion and president and all these other things. So incredible. It's, it's just it's just awesome, and it was a calculated risk. I was able to pay the HELOC back and have some extra capital, which let me buy my second property cash. Right. So how many properties have you done now? Seven. Dang. And you still own all of them? Uh, no, sold so a few some. to go into like, uh, so sold a single family to go into a duplex, right? Like so, so started thinking about how do you go into um, acquisition of, of larger properties, and yep. so now it may be the thought process of me and my husband is do we sell some additional units and go into like an apartment complex. Mm-hmm. And so long-term vision, like you like it, you're going to stay kind of in that space to do the work that you believe in? I think so. I mean, we, you never know where life will take you, but I am a serial um, sort of builder and creator. And so I think that as long as there's the ability to do well and do good, which there is in mm-hmm. housing, we can do both. We mm-hmm. can do well um, financially, but we can do do good and do right by people and provide high quality, safe, affordable housing. And some of the properties that I took over were in terrible condition. Mm-hmm. And the thought that people were living there in those conditions is just, is frustrating. So we can do something about it. Yeah. And does that connect to like your, I mean, maybe a passion for personal finance, like some of the content you push out, some of the things you talk about, like are those two things connected? Absolutely. I mean, it's all about ownership yeah. and assets and financial stability and security. So if we're talking about generationally yeah. um, moving folks uh, up the economic mobility ladder and building bridges and removing barriers to end generational poverty, you're talking about the um, the pathway towards prosperity mm-hmm. and inclusive prosperity. Mm-hmm. And home ownership is one of the ways towards that. But the other principles, of course, you know, savings, reducing debt, um, generating larger income, all of those things are a part of the the pathway. And I've become incredibly passionate about it because I, as I do this work in, um, in venture philanthropy, what we see more is just the circumstances that create the need for this space. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at those circumstances, both via historical marginalization and oppression of people of color, right. but also via the lack of um, wealth, you see that there there have to be more pathways and we have to be more intentional about talking about it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm a fan of it for multiple reasons and love that you talk about it. One, I think, I mean, maybe like I don't know what the generation before us talked about in terms of like how <laughs> taboo personal finance was and was not, but feels like it's not often talked about in the circle of my friends. Yep. Um, and so <laughs> like for any of us in like this, a similar age demographic to be able to lead that conversation and do it, I think is important. Well, I know it's important because um, it's just critical to one's like financial background, but also just like how they have day-to-day conversations and relationships that you know, like personal, professional or anything else. Yeah. I mean, I, there's the other, the thing you talked about earlier, Greg, was really important because it's like, how do you even get started? How do you get started in real estate? I mean, it's all the, the notion of it could, could be scary. No matter if you're trying to get started paying off your first credit card, paying off your student loan. The debt might be, how do you pay off hundred K? Exactly. And and I did. One dollar at a time. Student loans. One dollar at a time. I mean, I had loans from under, like I wasn't a silver spoon, like, you know, parents wrote a check completely paid off college. Etc. Right. It was like parents could help out here right. and there, <laughs> but could it put wasn't on it. <laughs> right. Go they ahead. put five on it, but they didn't. They didn't have the whole check to just write out to those universities and say, "Hey, universities, we're just gonna, you know, push this through free and clear." And so, um, you know, hopefully, I'll be able to do that for my kids. Yeah. Um, but the uh, the challenge is really thinking about, you know, how do we proactively. Um, address it and how do we make it less scary for folks? I mean, mm-hmm. if you don't talk about it, it's yeah. still scary and it's still taboo, but how do we, you know, really talk about, well, how, shoot, how did we pay off those student loans yeah. and how are we starting to invest in real estate and how are we starting to um, build coalitions of folks who have capital who can put towards community projects or opportunity zones that yep. um, will do well and do good, right? And would you, kind of random, but you said you want to do that for your kids. Would you just cut a check for your kids? Or would you, nah, just, you just want to have it? You just, <laughs> nah. I mean, because <laughs> I, I, I feel like it, probably part of what makes you respected and so good at what you're doing so far on that side is because you've had to earn it. You appreciate every dollar, every 50 cents, every quarter to know where it goes. Mm-hmm. Where if, if Mama Cook comes in and like just wipes out the debt, <laughs> Baby Cook is going to be like, cool, I'm straight. Nah, like, they ain't going to get it that easy. <laughs> I just want to clarify that because I didn't no, see that happen. I mean, certainly I will be there as a support and able, as a guide. And sure. I want to be able to say I could. Right. <laughs> However, how comma ever, <laughs> you, yes, right. you, my little girl or boy, will be um, going through the same path. I worked in college. Right. I had internships. I mean, yep. you know, I I, I afterwards got out and put together a budget. My first year out of college, I worked for AmeriCorps. Again, unadvisable mm-hmm. <laughs> from my parents. Uh, $10,000. Right. Mom, I love I you, but I have not listened to anything. <laughs> I mean, it, uh, our parents, I think, grew up in a, a different time, too, a time right. of security and stability, and, mm-hmm. and they weren't changing jobs every two and three years yeah. and five years. You know, it was just a different time. And so with the disruption, with the innovation, with the ability now to have information at your fingertips, it's a it's a different day and age. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I can only imagine when when my um, when when my little ones are, are of age. Yep. Um, right. And what that <laughs> what that yep. world in society and community will be like for them. And so, of course, I want to support and guide them, but I want them to bump their head, learn mm-hmm. some lessons, do some things. I mean, we talked about my first Charlotte property, but also right. invested in an, another property out of state and learned a lesson not to do that again because mm. I lost money. Long a, distance a, a landlording, good, a good sum of money. It was yeah. a, it was um, it was a friend that I went to school with here, um, great friend of mine. Uh, but we started a project together and mm. and lost, you know, a significant like enough to pay my mortgage for the year. Mm. <laughs> so that was real. Yeah, it was real. 
Well, I mean, I appreciate you saying that. Well, whether it's that or anything else, like I feel like so often, maybe it's you or just other people. It's like uh, easy to talk about the wins and like what's right. going well, especially right. like when you're putting out content and like some things on social media when some people want to curate the perfect life that is or is not. But I appreciate you sharing like there's real risks to this and like here's some yes. things, but like sounds like you kept going and like kept it moving, mm-hmm. knowing that there's going to be more wins down the road. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think we'd be most people who are successful in business or in life period have experienced failure. Yeah. If you haven't experienced failure, I want to talk to you. Come, let's, it's coming. Let's, let's <laughs> it's come coming. Let's come sit. Let's, right. let's chat. But I mean, it really is about perseverance and building mm-hmm. that resilience muscle and saying if this is a path that you are, are, are committed to, then, you know, what you've learned from that failure and you take that and you apply those learnings into the next opportunity Mm -hmm. and you say, all right, well, last time I didn't have A and B, now I've got A and maybe I'll fail again because I don't have a B. Next time I'll have A, B, and C and I'll be ready to win, right? And you know what to look for. You know what to look for. You know what to look out for as well. So So kind of connecting like the personal finance piece, maybe to schools, you're from Charlotte. Yes. You went to Vance High School? Vance High School, Ranson Middle School, Dorada Elementary. All the way back, all the way back. (laughs) Did you have a robust personal finance course in high school? Like how did this become a thing for you in your life? Does anybody have a robust (laughs) personal finance I didn't know if you were taking special courses. Uh, (laughs) um, No, and I, I think it's really just been a fascination with um, understanding more about uh, lifestyle and choice mm-hmm. and freedom. And, yep. you know, when you're able to make different decisions, I think a lot of that has to do with how um, how you feel financially. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, s- some folks will say money does not uh, change anything or, you know, money... It, Blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I agree that that um, money only makes you more of who you are. Sure. Exposes you. <laughs> um, Some it, people it, say it exposes it, you. It, it gives you great flexibility and exposure, but it also provides some level of freedom and choice. Sure. And I appreciate that freedom of choice to design the type of lifestyle that feels most authentic to, yep. to myself and, and the those around me and those I love and, and how we move forward together. So I didn't have any of those classes in school. However, my mother um, is a tax attorney. So she's always been um, very vigilant about numbers. She's always been very frugal. I'm talking about like (laughs) frugal. You know, when the kids were going to school with the new J's, that wasn't me. (laughs) That 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 was not me. Um, So it was it was interesting to have her um, foundation and her principles because it was really about listen. If you don't have the cash, you don't buy it. I mean, you don't put anything on credit. Like you know, (laughs) so Mm -hmm. I I didn't realize how much of an effect that had on me until kind of adulthood, right? Um, So while I I didn't listen to a lot of stuff that she said, I always watch what she did, and that's the biggest um, difference. I can be vulnerable for a minute. Lori Schoenbeck was known for buying one like ticket to the salad bar at like restaurants back <laughs> in the day and getting like three plates of salad. Yes, sir. And if dad ever found out, there'd be like a confrontation. Be like, it's honorable. It's like integrity. You need to pay for everybody. Well, he was mom, military, right? Yeah, dad, yeah. dad was military. Mom was like, well, you know, Makes like, I thought I was going to eat two salads and all of a sudden Gregory started eating one. It's like, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Uh, I so thought I've, I was the only one in the whole family who was eating today. So I feel you on that. I feel <laughs> you on that one. Um, so then like growing up in Charlotte and doing all the work you've done, which mm-hmm. we'll get to in a minute, like what was your education experience like in Charlotte? I think it was, uh, it was interesting. It oh. was interesting in the way that the schools that I went to, so Dorada Elementary was, uh, which is now more of an alternative yeah. um, 
program and building is uh, was was relatively diverse, pretty mm-hmm. pretty middle class. Um, and then I went to Ranson, and and Ranson at that time was I think ranked as one of the worst schools in the area, mm-hmm. in the state, and certainly in the area. Well. Um, and there was the stigma attached to it, and you know there were some 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 <laughs> some interesting elements sure. of being at Ranson. There sure. was some riots, there was some fights, but okay. there was also a lot of you know just life skill building and that resilience muscle that I talked about Mm -hmm. building that and Mm -hmm. um, having friendships with folks that I still communicate with today. So at that time, Ranson was, um, uh, my mom was involved with the, with the PTA really involved. Um, We had several different principals because of the, the environment. And so it was an interesting experience, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. And then I went to Vance, Mm -hmm. which from Ranson to Vance uh, definitely was a demographic shift because Vance at that time, it's not today, but mm-hmm. at that time was incredibly diverse. Mm. Um, and so I had friends who, you know, culturally and from, you know, a variety of areas and ethnicities um, that I can still call today. Yep. I mean, who are just solid friends and um, that experience really impacted me and this was sort of pre the busing changes yep. and so we were sort of the last class that was I under I figured you had to be close with yes, that yeah. yes so really. when we graduated we were the last class under that um, busing change and so because kids were still bussed in at that time mm-hmm. they were coming from a variety of neighborhoods it yep. wasn't necessarily just a neighborhood school yep. and we just had such a rich culture um, of different people and I loved it and that seems important to you and like who you are now yeah I mean it just shapes so much uh, perspective is everything man right. like how we go into decision making how we go into thinking about um, life and and just power and brokering you know this idealism that we can change things. Mm-hmm. I think that starts with your perspective. And so having had the perspective of going to Derrida, then Ranson, then Vance, and then going off to undergrad. And then at this point now, you know, one of the things that I, I attribute to um, perspective is is having been to every continent, 30 countries. Mm. I mean, when you mm-hmm. think about that and, and seeing Is that people, boss point number two? Yeah. Probably that seems <laughs> like a boss point. point. Yeah. <laughs> When you think about that, it's gonna be a sound effect. I'm gonna record that. That can be carried <laughs> on with us for everything every time somebody does something. No, it's just it's real. I mean, the when you get to get around um, folks in different environments and um, really just challenge your biases, mm-hmm. challenge your own prejudices, challenge your own assumptions. Yep. I mean, that's just a powerful thing. And we do that by being immersed in different environments. And yep. if you're always with the same line of thinking, the same background, sure. a homogenous sort of um, way of life, then I, I don't think we get the richness and the fullness of what life is intended to be. Is it fair to say that uh, being exposed to diverse cultures and just different kids in high school encouraged you to travel more? Or was like that travel thing always in the back of your head? I think it was just always a curiosity. Right. I would attribute it more to like a curiosity. So when I'm curious about something, I start to think more about it and mm-hmm. I start to really latch Probably on Probably daily to reminders it. with so many different diversities <laughs> and cultures at, at a school like Vance at that day, right? Exactly. Yep. Exactly. So when you get curious about something, you're like, I want to I wanna learn more about this. And, mm-hmm. and whether it's um, investing, whether it's uh, people, whether it's culture, you just want to know more and, and you often, again, learn best by um, just jumping into it. So a few things on the education front is like, so uh, state of North Carolina introduced a personal finance course mm-hmm. for all high school students. They got rid of a history course, which is 
you know, debatable and semi-controversial to some, introduce a personal <laughs> finance course. Yes. But at least within Mecklenburg County, there's always consistent conversation around student integration, both at a micro level or at a micro level, but a socioeconomic level and a race level as well, which are sometimes the same or different. Right. So I guess the question to do with like the personal finance piece, the student integration piece, like if you could choose one, if you could choose a few from your experience and now during your work locally and across the country, like within public education, what's it really important to you based upon your experience and what you're seeing? I think personal finance is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. And I, I've, um, I don't think I've used the Pythagorean theorem in 30 years, but yeah. I know that every year I file my taxes. Or parallelogram, where is the parallelogram season? I know that, you know, people are struggling to figure out household budgets and zero-based budgeting yep. and, and other things that are just, you know, writing checks, just essentials of cool. of life. And so even when I worked, I, I, I look at just sort of the dots that connect back uh, into my journey, and mm -hmm. I'm grateful for them. But one of my roles after uh, leaving AmeriCorps was to lead the uh, regional office for a U.S. senator, a U.S. Mm. senator Kay Hagan, who recently, um, mm -hmm, thank you, she she recently transitioned, and um, but was a great mentor and supporter. And her first bill that she introduced in the U.S. Senate mm. was a financial literacy bill, wow. and it was about how do we um, continue to champion this and continue to move this forward, understanding the significance, again, of some of the things we talked about earlier mm -hmm. around um, students being ready for life. Um, and that means having an understanding of personal finance at a basic level. Sure. We're not even talking about advanced concepts of, um, you know, some of the other principles of investing in macro and microeconomics. We're mm -hmm. really just talking about basic personal financial capital. And yep. like, what does that mean? Um, and how do we make sure students are prepared to go out and live? Because what we're in encouraging now and seeing a shift to which I think is appropriate is um, college or career ready mm -hmm. and so if we're talking about yep. being career ready then you have to have the skills and the capabilities to go into the workforce yep. right so yep. if we're saying yep. we, we're not just pushing everyone into college where oftentimes people are building more of those skills on personal finance and other things mm -hmm. we're saying we want you after 12th grade to be prepared to go out and be successful are we preparing them to do to do just that right yeah, I think we've had the fortunate experience, one of the initiatives bringing kind of families and, and schools and teachers together. And, and one last year was a personal finance night. And it was remarkable seeing both a mom and then a teacher sit next to each other working on like improving their credit score from the Commonwealth facilitator that we had. Mm -hmm. It's almost just a universal bind, regardless of oftentimes race or income, is that a lot of humans in general struggle with personal finance. And it's almost a unifying front that we can all work together to get better at. Absolutely. I mean, it, it, my husband, <laughs> I was laughing because I got a text message from my husband the other day and, um, you know, he was like, just went over our monthly finances. I see some areas where we can save some more and, fix and oh, I'm man. just like, yeah. oh, gosh, I love you and I hate you all at the same <laughs> too time. Much too yeah. much, too much. But no, it's 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 great because we need that push and mm -hmm. accountability partners. And I think it starts with just um, building again that um, that knowledge, that curiosity, that understanding that I can do this. Yeah. I can do this. Sure. I can take on a budget. And then after I take it on, I can make the. Um, revisions necessary as things change in my life. Yep. So as, you know, I earn more or if, if I'm laid off and as I earn less, mm -hmm. like how do I adapt adjust, and, yeah. and adjust to those circumstances? 
That's good. All right, so jumping a little bit to like current day to day, and we'll get to some of the incredible things you've done up until this point. But Greenlight Fund and the work doing now locally, but also how that's connected to across the country. Give people sixty second high level view of that work and how you're owning that in Charlotte. Sure. So Greenlight Fund is a national nine city network of nine. Um, we're now in nine cities. Cool. Charlotte cool. was number city number six that mm-hmm. launched in at the end of 2017. Mm-hmm. I was hired to lead that work locally. And essentially Greenlight Fund is where the intersection of community need and innovation um, meet. And mm-hmm. they meet with evidence based, scalable, replicable models um, of things that are already working. Mm-hmm. So what I like to like what I like to sort of compare it to is that we are scaling um, nonprofits that work. We mm-hmm. are really providing the financial and social that capital. often aren't local to the given city. Is yes. that correct? So we're, we're scaling things that are not already in that marketplace, right. in that marketplace and vice versa. And that's so, intentional. Yes. It's, right. it's incredibly intentional because we want to look at Greenlight Fund looks at every year we go through an annual selection cycle. Yep. And when we go through that annual selection cycle with our five step methodology, the first step of that process is saying, what's happening in the local landscape, where are the gaps, where are the things that are working well, but particularly what are those issues that are affecting low-income families mm-hmm. um, where there is not um, a prevalent or um, a readily available solution that's working, or there's a piece of the pipeline that's leaking that we can address with the solution that already exists. Yep. Um, and so we look around the country and we go out and scout and say, you know what, Charlotte hasn't yet figured this piece out, but there are other cities that have. Mm -hmm. So let's look at how we scale that piece in partnership with local organizations on the ground in Charlotte and provide the financial and social capital to move that work forward so that that solution is now in our community and we don't have to waste three to five years, 10 years on a task force and a study and a report because we already, you know, we we can see what's You guys want to say, Carrie, about (laughs) task force and um, reports? I'm saying we can see what's no, no. working and scale it. Get it to work. Get it to work. <laughs> Get it to work Get immediately. It on the ground. I, I mean, that is that is essentially what Greenlight Fund does. We say what is missing and how do we get it to work immediately because families can't wait. Right. We don't have time to wait. Low income families who are struggling in our community and who we are leaving behind for one reason or another, we don't have time to wait. Mm-hmm. And so when you think about putting solutions to work, whether it's around financial security or early education or reentering citizens coming back from incarceration. These are issues that are continuing to create a greater divide. Mm -hmm. But if we're intentional about it, we can close the opportunity and achievement gaps in communities. And I I love the urgency piece because I think whether it's Charlotte or any major city thinking about um, improving a certain part of their social sector or supporting families that that have been oppressed or fighting racist systems for a long time, I mean, at least within the communities that we've been fortunate to work in and serve, when these sorts of reports come out, there's never any surprises from the people these reports are supposed to serve. These are the people that always say, like, guys, we knew this shit. We've been telling you for a long time about the things we're facing, the things we need. Like, we don't need the 60-page pre-report, which sometimes can raise more money and more awareness, and there's things to that. But I appreciate the urgency in that it's going directly to the communities that need it. It's responding to their needs and getting to work rather than kind of writing more stuff about it. We don't want to write stuff. We're reading stuff. Um, We're reading and taking in policy reports and data and talking with community leaders, which, I mean, (laughs) proximity to the problem is the the 
the number one thing Brian that Stevenson, we're missing, shout out. right? That's like right. Stevenson, said, I mean, he says it so eloquently, but it, this is something that's really kind of common sense. Like mm-hmm. you want to fix the solution, like talk to the pe- people or fix the issue. Talk to the people closest to the problem. They yes. have yes. the solutions, um, but oftentimes um, are under-resourced and we're not listening. And so when we think about that, and even in Greenlight Fund, the way we've built our Charlotte Selection Advisory Council, it is composed of, um, it is comprised of um, those who have lived experience, right? Mm -hmm. Lived experience with different issues, whether they've been formerly incarcerated, whether they're living in affordable housing, but it's also foundation leaders and um, heads in private sector. And it's, it is truly representative of the community that we live in because that is the type of um, decision-making we need. We need those, uh, we talked about it earlier, different perspectives Mm -hmm. and lived experience at the table in order to think about how we move this work forward. But we can't um, make decisions in isolation and then wonder, well, this community over here made a decision for that community over there, and we're wondering why, why it didn't it's not work. Working. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. No, I think you're right, and it's like it's. I think a phrase I keep going back to. I don't know who said it, but it's it's simple but not easy. Yeah, and these things are all, all these things are often overlooked. But I think any of, of the breakthroughs we've had in our work, and people are like, well, how did you do this or how did you figure it out? It's like we asked the people we were trying to serve, and then did our best to give them what they were asking for. Absolutely. And then they always want to dig around like, well, like, what else? It's like, no, 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 that's, that's it. it. We literally that's asked it. them like where the challenges are, how can like our organization support X, Y, or Z Did our best to like fulfill X, Y, or Z and like generally a little biased, but like got pretty good outcomes and data for it. And so like kudos to you guys for doing that. And th- speak more about um, Parent Child Plus. Yeah, absolutely. So Parent Child Plus was was our first Greenlight Charlotte investment. And I am very proud of that um, of that investment. And actually, Education Ed NC just wrote an article about yeah, kudos. It was good. And the early impact. Focus already. on families and home visits. Focus two really on important things. Families. Yep. So let me give you a little context. So Please. we went through um, our first selection cycle. And as we were going through that cycle again, we started with the local landscape um, sort of assessment. We knew that there was momentum in the early ed space mm-hmm. and raised sort of visibility in that space and also we know that if we want to address some of the issues of generational poverty some of the safety and um, sort of youth issues I mean you got to start early Mm -hmm. and so when we're talking about um, how we changed that and we looked into the data we were looking at kids coming into Charlotte Mecklenburg schools even in kindergarten with high A scores which is called adverse childhood experiences Mm -hmm. and so when you have high A scores and then you have low numeracy and fluency scores and we can also look at the data on that by school we said all right we are looking for um, essentially something in um, in the space of early ed and birth to five Mm -hmm. we're looking for something in the space of socio-emotional development Mm -hmm. we're looking for something that supports numeracy and fluency skills and we're looking for something with community-centered design so something that the community owns and um, really takes uh, accountable accountability for and that we put resources directly into proximate it's very proximate and so the way parent child plus um works is it directly supports two to four year olds and their parents Uh, and it's a two generation approach and Mm -hmm. so they were they're now in um, you know 
about a dozen states. The where model, they start, Kerr? The model is based out of New York. Okay. And so it's based out of New York where their headquarters is. Um, and essentially, as we looked and said, hey, you know, Charlotte has some things in the prenatal um, space, like nurse family partnership, yep. and some that kind of go to one or two years old. We're also beefing up our um, sort of uh, pre-K and mm-hmm. MEC, MEC pre-K um, support for families. So when you look at we're really doing um, more in the space of prenatal and immediate postnatal. We're doing a lot more in the pre-K space. There's Between nobody in that two, two to four, to four space. years old. Yeah. What's happening, Review. right? That's and great. how do we specifically address that? Yep. And how do we meet that need with um, parents exactly where they are? And so in, in the home, that's, yep. that's where we do it. Yeah. We meet them where they are in the home. And um, the Parent Child Plus model provides 92 home visits over a two-year duration between the child's um, second and third year when they're getting ready to turn four and eligible 92 for per family? 92 per family. Over two years. Yes. If so, I'm a family, I can expect to visit 92 times. Yes. Yeah, so it's what incredible. happens, it, it, it is incredible. It's a high-touch model. And I think what we would say, too, and not, not to cut you off, but like visiting families is simple, not easy. Absolutely. Can I go back to that? Yeah. Because like, it's just like putting boots on the ground, staying proximate, working with the families that need the most support. Yeah. It's, it's not maybe sexy work or like in a nice tower or an office building, but it's like in the community doing the work. No, this is in the community doing the work. That's but again, cool. it's community-centered design. So the thing that I really loved about Parent Child Plus and our selection council um, drew to with this model was that those 92 visits are from what's called an early learning specialist. Mm-hmm. That specialist is someone who has been hired from that community. So that person has been hired and trained. You don't have to have a college degree. You don't have to have credentials. What happens is they have this kind of train the trainer model. And so they are able to train parents on the model to then become home visitors or early learning specialists to their peer parents in the neighborhood and say, hey, you know, I am now a home visitor. I've gone through this training. I want to help you. I want to come in twice a week with 92 home visits to support you. Those visits are 30 minutes, so it's designed to be the attention span of the two and three-year-old, right? But also just with the demands on everyday life, it's not meant to be a stressor. It's meant to be a support for families. And so when you say simple, not easy, you know, it is about getting in there and the simplicity of bringing in an educational book or toy Mm -hmm. um, every visit. And so when you're doing that, you're bringing that educational material in the first visit of the week and the second visit of the week is more a review to see how they're doing with that new educational material and how the parent and child are using it in the home. But again, the key piece to me was that 30% around approximately of their visitors nationally are parents who had been through the program. Oh, wow. So you're That's talking amazing. about you've hired a workforce who has participated in this program yep. and now they want to go back and say, I want to do this for my peers in community. And the parent sort of self-efficacy and Good advocacy you. muscle that you build in yep. community in doing that where parents come together and they share strategies and they talk more mm-hmm. about learning and build confidence even sure. in how they're raising um, these smart, amazing babies together. Mm-hmm. I mean, they really, um, you see communities um, get excited about the resources that they are being provided with yep. and in the ways that they are being supported to, to do the work at the at the ground level, at the community level. That's so cool. 
Yeah, I had, I, love a, I had a smart follow up question, but then I forgot about it because I got just super interested in what you well, were let saying. Me, let me so just assume I asked something smart and keep talking. Well, your smart question was, well, how is it working in Charlotte? Yes. <laughs> what does success look like, Carrie? Is it working, or you just people Carrie, just like hang, people just like hanging out of houses? Yes. So give me the data. That really awesome question that you just asked you. was um, about thinking about how does that roll out in Charlotte, right? What does that mean? <laughs> And so in Charlotte, we partnered uh, Parent Child Plus with the Charlotte Housing Authority, yep. which is now in Livian. Yep. And so in Livian um, and the Charlotte Bilingual Preschool, um, actually two great demographics for us to start the initial rollout yep. Banu, of Parent Child Plus. Shout out to Banu and the team. Shout out to Banu. Shout yep. out to Fulton and Tamiko. The teams there um, at those two organizations are exceptional mm-hmm. and they're committed to families. Yep. And so when you think about the element of trust they already have with families, introducing a new model um, and a resource is not scary because they already have this relationship and trust with the families that they serve and so in the um, in Livian model um, we're in Southside Homes Mm -hmm. and so Southside Homes is one of those communities where you still have a little over 300 um, homes and apartment homes and um, up to four I think Four, four bedrooms still. Mm. And so you can reach um, a large population of children within one community, but you can also eliminate the barriers around transportation and mobility mm. and other things because it's a home-based model. And so that that center also has a Jobs Plus center in the neighborhood. So as parents are completing that skills program and going through the Jobs Plus program, it's like, hey, we now have an opportunity for sure. you to go to work if you're interested yeah. in mobility. Parent Child Plus. And mobility. we yep. can pay you a living wage and you you can also support your neighbors. I mean, it is truly, Correct. when you think about a model that is um, culturally appropriate, so Charlotte Bilingual Preschool, they are able to serve families in East Charlotte um, through uh, a number of different languages, right, mm-hmm. and meeting families where they are. So when you think about a model that's culturally appropriate, that's a two-generation approach that has a workforce development component into it, and that is truly about community-centered design. I couldn't have drawn up it's something work, better, right? right? It's got to work. And the KPI, so people often uh, asked about, ask about Greenlight Fund's differentiator, and mm-hmm. as we uh, make an investment through our annual selection cycle, as we made that investment in Parent Child Plus, we provide 600000 in capital mm-hmm. over a four-year period. And we also ask for um, agreed-upon metrics that we then sign and execute in our engagement agreement. So yep. what are the key performance indicators that we're going to hit year over year? Yep. How many families serve? What are the outcomes? What do we expect? And so we know whether or not we're tracking towards success. And right. the early indicators are great because as soon as we launched, we we knew in year one we wanted 100 families in the program, and we're on track to do that. That's great. Um, so. That's incredible. You stay approximate. Stay approximate. And Angie Drakeford, let me shout out the director of Parent Child Plus because she <laughs> has just hit the ground running. And, and I saw um, she got a nice write-up recently, maybe in the Ed NC article or something different. She was in the Ed NC article, and she was all, also in the Charlotte Business Journal. Oh, good. Yep. Um, good and good, they good. had done a feature, the the People on the Move um, section. And, she, and she's just, I mean, number one, she's a parent who can relate. Yeah. Um, she has three children herself. Right. Uh, she lives off Beatty's Ford, but her kids go to Country Day. West I mean, wow. that's, that's 
class. That in itself is an, yeah. <laughs> is an experience. That's a conversation right uh, there. That is a conversation, and it's a conversation we need to have more of in Charlotte sure. about bridging experiences mm-hmm. and understanding people's different choices and pathways and supporting supporting um, children to, to, to be their best. So Angie has worked in public and private sector um, and really brings that to bear um, and brings just a personal passion and commitment from her own life experience to helping children and parents succeed together. So it's amazing. That's incredible, man. We, you guys can hear, we could obviously talk to Miss Carrie Cook for hours and hours, but we're going to respect your time um, and let you keep going about your, your wonderful work. So we're going to get you out of here on a few okay. rapid fire slash fun questions. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. Uh, so 30 seconds or less, maybe. Sure. Uh, what if anything makes you hopeful about public education and you can't say personal finance <laughs> since you already use that one? The parents, the parents, the teachers, the students. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm hopeful about the people. Okay. I mean, that gives me the most hope because um, I think the more we can support um, people to learn in innovative ways and try innovative models, we're going to see some positive things, things happen in public ed. What's one actionable thing our listening community can do tomorrow to help implement change, whether related to Greenlight Fund or anything else in our community? Again, support support parents and support schools. <laughs> mm-hmm. What does that look like? Actionable. I think the actionable thing that we can do is um, understand our role in in supporting parents. So, yep. so, so, what does that look like? Does mm-hmm. it look like I am um, partnering with a parent as a mentor? Does it look like I am supporting parents through involvement in a local school? Maybe I don't have a child there, but this mm-hmm. is our community, mm-hmm. right? And I'm invested in the so success of our So bonds are still community. important, even if I don't have kids. Hey, listen, <laughs> y'all better st- <laughs> stop acting like this doesn't impact you. I mean, when we have school bonds, when we have other opportunities to support equitable um, decisions, and, and education and other opportunities to so- support public ed show up. I mean, you can go to a school board meeting even if you don't have a kid in the school district, right? right? If, if these are all our students, truly, I think the actionable thing is to figure out a way that you mm-hmm. can personally get involved in supporting education for all of our students. I think that's right. It's easy to to talk mess from afar, to throw stones, to send kids to one school, not the other. But like, if you care about it and you're in the community, do something like be actionable towards it rather than just throwing stones or posting something crazy on social media. Yeah. I mean, be about it. Stop talking about it. Amen. Amen. (laughs) All right. Kelsey's going to ask you the most important question of the day. Okay. It's the most important question. (laughs) What does square pizza mean to you? Ooh. uh, (laughs) It means elementary school. Okay. Which I got in trouble. (laughs) That's why I said, woo. (laughs) means going to the principal's office. (laughs) With your square pizza. So y'all had square pizza at Dorita? We did. Okay. Of course. Of course. Come on now. was the... Anna served a lot of square pizza. Was the square pizza, like, did the trouble happen? Like, you got your square pizza, you're at the cafeteria, you started wilding out, or is it just a a contributing habit in elementary school? You know, I was what they uh, deemed on the report card as a talker, you know? You? Nah, I see that. Uh, So, you know, it'd be an incident of, like, I think, you know, shout out to my fourth grade teacher, Miss Howes, because she figured out. Miss <laughs> Howes didn't see that coming. Listen, she figured out a way to put my energy to work. And, and when she did that and made me like an assistant and made me do assignments early and help other students, uh-huh. that solved the issue. Yep. I wasn't off task because I was like, oh, no, I got to help all y'all other kids. Let me work. help y'all 
kids. Some so. of the, not even disruptive, but I would say the most active students are just the ones that need to be differentiated, need more responsibilities. Like, put them to work. If they got skills, put them to work. Don't make Absolutely. them sit there, copy notes off the paper or I'm off the chalkboard if it's not working. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, it, it was, I mean, it, that that to me, I'll, I'll never forget her for that. There so. you go. Yep. Shout out to Miss House. Yep. All right, Carrie Cook, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we'll check her out. Thank you, Carrie. Hey guys, this is Greg. Thanks again for checking out the podcast episode. Uh, feel free to show us some love on social media at Shermco, S-C-H-E-R-M-C-O, and hashtag Square Pizza Pod. Stay in touch for the next episode.